Well, good morning again. Listen, let me remind everybody what just took place there. When we began this brand new series called Whatever, the very beginning of the summer, and we're working through the book of Philippians, the entire church was challenged to memorize Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And so what you saw there, in case you're kind of confused, that's called memorizing a verse and reciting it out, saying it out loud. And um, some of your heart was kind of beating, not because you're afraid the kids would mess up. We knew for sure they would do it right. Here's why you're nervous. Is Pastor Keith going to call me up there next week to do that same verse? And you know what I'd like you just, I think sometimes it's good to live in tension. And so um, I just want you to live in tension. Next week is our last week in our summer series, whatever, studying the book of Philippians. And you never know who I may call on to stand up here and recite it just like the kids. And at that moment, the church attendance went down to zero the following week. Okay, I promise you, I will not call on you. But here's what I'm thinking. If the kids can do it, we can do it. We can still memorize things. Um, I'll be honest with you, I am still trying to memorize it too. When it gets to whatever is noble, whatever is right, all those words go to mixed up in my mind. So let's just all commit to finishing up the task. And the next week, we'll all be able to say it together. Not up here at front, but we'll sit there with no cheat sheet and we'll say it together. Is that a fair deal? I don't know about you guys. I've loved this series, okay? I've read the book of Philippians my whole entire life um, and, and studied it a little bit, but it wasn't until this series that I really got down and studied it more and just understanding that when Paul wrote the, the letter to the church of Philippi, he was really writing to say, I want you to have joy, that God created us for joy. God created us to enjoy life, and he goes, I want you to experience joy. And this whole entire summer, we've looked at areas finding joy, such as relationships, um, finding joy in our circumstances, finding joy in our attitude. That was a difficult one for many of us finding joy in your work we talked about finding joy in our spiritual life and then last week grant taught us and led us in the last part of philippians chapter 3 finding joy in our future so we have two more weeks that we're finding out that paul wants us to discover some joy in our life but it's interesting, as we read the book of Philippians, and again, it's a letter, as we get to the last chapter, I kind of consider it Paul's last page, and he flipped over the last page, and you can tell as you read all of chapter 4 of the book of Philippians that Paul was just kind of trying to wrap some things up. And so he says something about this, and he says something about this, and he says something about this. And so what we're going to discover as we finish up this week and next week, it's just kind of tidbits of different things, but there is a thread that I want to weave together. In fact, here's what he did. As he turned to his fourth page of his letter, he had to address something that I think is really wise to wait until the end of the letter. There was conflict going on between two ladies in the church. And so as a very wise man, he knew it wasn't best to start off with that. When he waited, he got to the very end of his letter. But he addresses the conflict between these two ladies. And so our topic today is finding joy in conflict. Anybody experienced conflict this last week? Maybe conflict with, well, let me, let's, let's be real personal. Anybody experience conflict on the way to church today? Okay, let's look confession time here. Yeah, we all have the conflict at different times. So look with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, and we'll see the conflict that Paul is addressing. He doesn't go real specific. We don't know specifically what it's about, but here's what he says, starting in verse 1. He said, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And so that was kind of his preface, just going, hey, I'm about to talk about something, and I'm not just giving you some thoughts in my own ideas. I want you to stand firm in this area that I'm about to talk about. And then he calls out the two ladies. He says, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Sintish to be the same mind in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So he even calls on a friend that we don't even know the friend's name, but he calls on this friend going, I've got these two ladies, and they're having some conflict. Would you help them come together, be in the same mind? These were great ladies. These weren't like some crazy ladies. They helped me in the gospel as we built the church in Philippi, he says. And he says, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And then he says, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. How would you like to, 2,000 years from now, you had so, or two, now you have some kind of conflict with somebody. It wasn't major, but it was a pretty serious conflict. And 2,000 years later, people are still writing about your conflict. Okay, I think back to my own life. Denise and I, we've had enough conflict in 30 years of marriage that I hope that everybody, including her and me, forgets about that conflict. But we had one encounter that happened one week into our marriage that I will never, ever, ever forget about. In fact, probably won't forget about it because I share, still share about it sometimes because it's just, as I look back, it is the most ridiculous conflict we could have ever had. You ever had those kind? Like when you think about why you got in a fight, it was like silly. In fact, some of y'all might have heard me share this story when I was interviewing. We'd been married one week. We went on our honeymoon. We flew back. We were setting up our apartment there in, in, in Irving, Texas. And so we had to go to Target to buy some things. So we made a list on the flight home from a honeymoon of all the different things that you need to start your new apartment together. You know, all the cleaning supplies, the trash cans, the trash bags, all those things that you, got, you have to buy once to, to start your life together. And so we go to the um, Target. It was the most romantic shopping trip I'd ever been on in my life because I'm in love here's my wife of one week we are setting up our apartment we had the list and here's how it went we would go down the aisle and find one thing and cross it off put it in the basket and kiss each other then we'd push the buggy down the aisle and we'd find the next thing oh we need some ajax and put it in there and kiss each other oh we need some bags and so that's how it went but i realized after about 30 minutes of romance and target that this was going to take forever and so I say, hey, babe, how about we do this? Let's take, there's two sheets of our list. Why don't I take one sheet? You take the other sheet. I'll get another basket and we'll get this done quicker and we'll get back home and we'll start setting everything up. And she looked at me and she said, I've never heard this since then. You're the smartest man I've ever known in my life. And she kissed me. She took her list. I took my list. We began shopping with our grocery baskets, our carts there. And we got to the very end, and her basket is full because she had a long list. My basket is full. But I looked in her basket, and on the top of everything, she had put in there yellow fuzzy toilet seat covers. Now, I helped make the list. I knew there were not yellow fuzzy toilet seat covers on the list of things that we were supposed to purchase. It wasn't on the list. And you know why it wasn't on the list? Because I grew up in a house with all brothers. Fuzzy toilet seat covers always fell down at the wrong time. And so we never had fuzzy toilet seat covers in our house. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, that's cute, babe. Why are those in there? She goes, oh, I know it wasn't on the list, but we needed some yellow fuzzy toilet seat covers. In this romantic gesture of still being the head of the house, I said, oh, that's nice, but we won't have those in our house. And she looked at me and she says, oh, yes, we will. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, no, really, we won't. And I went to kiss her and she pulled back and she said, oh, yes, we will. 
I want you to know, and I'm embarrassed about this, that little encounter turned into a fight right there at Target. We ended up leaving both baskets unchecked, unpaid for, went to the car. We weren't even speaking about that. One week we've been married, and we're already fighting conflict over yellow, fuzzy toilet seat covers. I dropped her off, and I said, I just, I, I got to go get away for a few minutes. I drove straight to my father's house because I knew the godly man he was. I knew that he'd give me the right advice. I knew that he would tell me to go back and tell that woman, this is how it's going to be in the Smith household. I went to my father's house. He said, son, you need to do the right thing. I said, I know, Dad, I'm going to do the right thing. We're going to take, we're never going to buy fuzzy yellow, yellow fuzzy toilet seat covers. He goes, no, you need to do the right thing and go by the Target right now and buy those yellow fuzzy toilet seat covers. <laughs> but it was this ridiculous conflict. But I would hate to think that 2,000 years down the road that somebody still knows about that conflict. And I wonder if sometimes in heaven, Yodia and Sintish is up there going, really, Paul, did you have to call us out in this letter that people are still learning from us? But, but here's what I understand about conflict that day with Denise and I. That conflict is really natural, isn't it? You, you cannot have relationships with people if you don't have conflict. You can't work with people. You can't live with people. You can't come to church with people. Conflict is natural. I used to think conflict was bad. Conflict is not bad. It's how we handle the conflict that can be bad. In fact, if you look at those first few verses that Paul wrote, he didn't get on to the ladies. He just said, let's get it together and get it fixed. He didn't reprimand them for ever being in an argument in the first place. He just said, let's be of one mind in this one. And so we need to understand in our lives, conflict is natural. Um, but what's not natural, or rather maybe another way, what's destructive is when we leave that conflict unresolved. Some of us think the best way to resolve conflict is simply just raising the rug and sweeping it under there. But you know how that works, right? It just stays there until you have to sweep something else under the rug. And oftentimes both those come flying out under the rug. And so what Paul is saying to us here as we think about conflict is conflict needs to be addressed in our lives. In fact, he said it this way. He said, yes, I asked you, my true companion, help these women to figure things out. And so that was one of his last parting words. He's going, I want you to find joy in your life. If you have conflict in your life, whether you look at it, sweep it under the rugs, but if you have unresolved conflict in your life, you will miss the joy that God has for us. And then Paul goes on after verse 4, and he just starts talking about other things. And as I read these next five, six, seven verses after verse 4, I'm not sure specifically that Paul was going, now let me give you five steps for dealing with conflict. But it's interesting. As you look at the four or five next things that he says, they fit so well in helping us resolve conflict in our lives. Again, I'm not sure if it's purpose going, okay, now here's five steps for resolving conflict. But yet he was providing the Philippians and providing those of us at South Sub some life principles that if we place into our lives, I think for many of us it will resolve much of the conflict that we have. And so I want to spend the next 15 minutes and just look at these. They're very simple. So here's how I start this. I want you to think. Don't raise it out. Don't raise your hand. Don't say it out loud. But I want you to think of some conflict that you're having with somebody. It could be somebody you live with. It could be a family member that you just have to see ever so often. It, it, it might be somebody you work with. It might be somebody sitting in this room. But we all have conflicts of some point. So as I talk through these principles that Paul gives us, I want you to think and run your conflict through these principles and see if, if you follow Paul's counsel, if it will bring you joy even in the middle of conflict. 
So here, here's four or five things on healthy practices for resolving conflict. If you have your, your outline there, you can start writing these down. Here's the first one Paul says. We need, when we have conflict, we need to respond gently. He says it this way. That Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Here's what I've come to realize in life. This is my theory about conflict. That most conflict is not about the problem, but about the response to the problem. Let me say that again. Most conflict is not about the problem, it's about our response to the problem. If we would have taken a breath and taken a step back, if we'd have thought about what came out of our mouth when the conflict occurred, that conflict probably would have never happened the way it turned out to be. But my response leads to that person's response, which leads me to another response, which leads me to another response. And if you're like me and most conflict that Denise and I have, when we get to the pinnacle of our conflict, we don't even know what we're conflicting about. But we're mad and we're responding because how you respond to me, the tone you said it, how you said it, how you should have said it. And so the conflict is usually never about the conflict. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says this, a gentle response diffuses anger. A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a temper fire. Here's what I've learned, just a really simple practice. The how and the when when it comes to conflict resolvement. If I will be more conscious and more aware of when I respond and where I respond, my conflict seems to come down. I know when my kids got to be teenagers and we had that teenager conflict where they want to be grown, they want all the, the, all the um, privileges of being grown but none of the responsibility and we had that parent-teen conflict. Here's what I learned. If I would take them, go someplace and eat and talk about what was going on, we did a whole lot better resolving the conflict than if we had it, that discussion in our house. Because if we had that discussion in our house, we could get as loud as we wanted to and nobody would stop us. But if we went to a restaurant, it forced us to look across the table at one another and think about what we're going to say and how we're going to say it and the volume that we're going to say it. And so I've learned in life when it comes to conflict, this gentle answer, I've got to be where and also when. You ever been in that situation? You come home from work and whether it's your spouse or your child or somebody and you've had a hard day and you walk in and undoubtedly the other person has so much they need to just get out and as soon as you take a step into the door, they let you have it about something and then all of a sudden you respond going, wah! And really what you're responding out is has nothing to do with what they're saying or what they're asking or what they're bringing up but has everything to do with the way your day went before you ever walked into the door. And so many times as we think about a gentle answer, it's just not whispering a response. That gentle answer comes from the where and the when that we provide that response. But Paul gave the advice there. If you want to have joy in your conflict, you have to begin with a gentle response. Here's the second thing he says. And I'll be honest with you. As we look at these four or five different things, this is the most difficult one for me. And here's what it is. To include Jesus in the conversation. Okay, when I'm having conflict with somebody, it's me and that person, right? And I many times leave Jesus out of it. Here's what Paul says, the Lord is near. So he's saying, again, he wasn't talking specifically about conflict, but if we always remember that no matter where we are in life, no matter what's going on in our life, that the Lord is always near, it may change how we respond to somebody. 
So here's my confession. I do pretty good when it comes to conflict. I've learned just the task of managing conflict. Unless it's conflict over the phone with a customer service agent that has no idea who I am or what I do for a living. Okay? Because as a pastor, i got to kind of keep it together, right? Even if I'm having problems at a store somewhere, like some of them might be around that comes to our church. So there's just something in me going, the Lord is near and so is the church member. So i got to keep it together. But you put me on the phone with a customer service agent over a problem that I know is not my problem. And it's somehow I'm going, hey, Jesus, um, and I never say this, but I honestly live it out. Hey, Jesus, can you go next door and have coffee with the neighbors next door? Because I'm going to take care of this one myself. And I've watched myself. It escalates. It grows. But it's all because I'm not looking at that person in the eyes. I'm not talking to that person. But even more than that, I know they don't know that I'm a follower of Jesus. And I get to kind of push Jesus aside for a little bit. You know what? When I think about conflict that Denise and I have had in our marriage, if I could go back and rewind going, if we're sitting in our living room and we're having our discussion, we're having our conflict, and I knew that Jesus, or I remembered that Jesus was right there with us. And that Jesus said, through many of the writings in the New Testament, that Denise is not only my wife, but she is my sister in Christ. That she is the daughter of Jesus who's sitting right there. If I could keep him involved in our conversation, that would change every way that I went about it. And so if we want to find joy in our conflict, remember, conflict is not bad. In fact, conflict can be healthy because it helps us work some of the impurities out of our relationships. But if we lead Jesus out of it and we try to handle that conflict all on our own, we mess it up 99.9% of the times. So it's a gentle answer, but keep Jesus a part of that conversation. It says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, something that Paul wrote earlier in his letter. He says, but in humility, think more of each other than you do yourselves. None of you should think only of his own affairs, but should learn to see things from other people's point of view. <laughs> Most of my conflict, probably all of my conflict, is because things aren't going my way. I've never, ever in my life fought with my wife because things were going in her way or it wasn't going in my way. I wanted my way, my way only. I never fought so we could, her, she could win out of the situation. Here's a little freebie I wrote down. kind of goes with it. When you're in conflict with somebody and you're trying to consider that person more, more important than yourself, here's a freebie I wrote down. Healthy relationships are about unity and not uniformity. I guarantee if I look back in our relationship with Denise, our first 10 years, we fought because we were trying to make the other one think and believe and do exactly what we wanted to do. But we finally realized, you know what? We can be one, two people in one and not have to be exactly the same. And so we learn in that one that a healthy relationship is about us being together, not ex us being together, but not exactly the same. And so relationship, healthy relationships are about unity and not uniformity. Here's the third thing Paul, I think, points out. And, and I, I summarize it this way. In the, trying to find joy in conflict in your relationships, again, whether it's a work relationship, a family relationship, a marriage relationship, a friendship relationship, here's the third thing we need to do is don't try to write your own story. Let me explain what I mean by that. We get frustrated when we feel anxious. And we get anxious. Um, and when we get anxious, we start having what I call internal conversations. 
So somebody says something, somebody does something that frustrates me. That makes me anxious because I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know where that's going to lead me in my whole place of life. And so then I get anxious, and in my anxiety, I'm trying to work it out, and I start having these internal conversations. Here's what I've realized in my internal conversations, and it would be true in your internal conversations. When you start having an internal conversation about conflict, you will always turn out to be the hero in your mind. You with me? You will always turn out to be the martyr in your own mind. We never have internal conversations and make us the bad guy. We always make the opposing party the bad guy. And so what happens, we begin to have these internal conversations like, oh, that makes sense. And then we have more internal conversations. And by the time we shut our mind down from having these pretend conversations and we're making up our own stories about the situation, we have created a greater conflict, a greater distance between us and the other person than was ever there in the beginning. I mean, you think about this. You go to work and someone walks up to you and says, hey, I just, how's that timeline going on that project? And all of a sudden, you're going, how's that timeline going on the project? In your mind, you just start going, hold on a second. The timeline, it's not even due until next week. Are they questioning my work ethic? I mean, are they thinking I'm not doing my work? And then all of a sudden, you start having more conversations about the project. This project doesn't even really, conf- doesn't really even go with the person who's asking that conflict. Why are they ask? did my boss send that person to ask us? Does my boss not think I'm doing a good job? Do you see how this works? And all of a sudden, this story starts building in your mind more and more and more and more. And we have distanced ourselves. We have put a big chasm between us and the other person. Those stories get made up in the offices. They get married up in our marriages. They get made up in in dating relationships. They get made up in next-door neighbor friendships. They happen everywhere we go. And we make up these stories. Why? Because somebody said or did something that frustrated us. In our frustration, we got anxious, and our anxiety led us to make a story that makes us feel better about it. Are you with me? This means yes. This means no. This means, dude, I'm in conflict with you because you're bringing this up right now, okay? You with me? Here's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Again, he doesn't speak directly about stories in our mind, but here's what he says about anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... Be in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so when you start making up your stories in your mind and you're creating greater conflict that's really there, you just take a step back going, okay, God, instead of making up a story about this person, what they think or feel or doing about me, why don't I just start praying for this person? And I've learned in my life, I can't pray for somebody and still be mad at somebody. There's something about the Holy Spirit that comes in and begins to soften my heart when I pray for somebody that lets me begin to just kind of see things from a different perspective. Here's the fourth thing. As you're thinking about finding joy in your life through conflict, here's the fourth thing that Paul talks about. Assume the best about the other person. Always assume the best about the other person. Look what he said in verse 8. The one the kids just stood up here and they said so, so beautifully. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. As the kids sat up here and said, didn't you think that was so cute? 
And don't you think every parent here watching that, and I saw some of them get their cameras out, and they're taking pictures, they're going, this is so good that my child is learning this verse. And don't you believe every one of these parents that watch their kids and video their kids saying that verse, they're just hanging on going, and when they get home, I hope they remember that verse when they're dealing with their sister or their brother. Wouldn't most all fights between siblings be non-existent if they always thought the best about the other person? If they thought what is noble, what is right, what is good, what is lovely, what is admirable, if that was their first impulse thought to their brother or sister before they started just duking it out in the living room and mom and dad had to go in there and be referees, wouldn't family life be a whole lot better? If the kids not only learn that verse, but they realize if they always assume the best of another person, that would help them deal with relationships so much better their whole entire life. Can we just pause there and realize that's not a kid thing? Wouldn't our lives be so much better if we always thought the best about the other person? One of the biggest conflict deterrents that I learned in my marriage is this. My wife is not my enemy. I'm sad to say it took about five years before I realized that. And we had a lot of conflict going in there. But I had to realize my wife would never do something maliciously to hurt me. She would never say anything maliciously to, to offend me. Now, does she respond at times? Do I re- at times? But never on purpose. She's not the enemy. We're really trying to become one together. And so that verse right there, when I think about my relationship with my wife, if she says or does something or responds in a way I'm going, hey, hang on a second. You want to start this right now? I have to go back. Finally, Keith, when you think about Denise, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy about my wife, Denise, think about these things. And when I think about those things, my filter of response goes through that and it helps us become one much, much quicker. That same thing works in the workplace. That same way works with the neighbors. That same way works with all family relationships that we want to assume the best about the person before we respond to them. And then here's the last thing that Paul says. He says, you want to find joy in your relationships. You want to find joy even when you have conflict in your relationships. Here's the fifth part, the fifth step. Listen, validate, and propose a solution. Let me take those one by one because I think our society has lost the art of listening and validating and proposing a solution. First of all, just listen. Okay, just listen. We're so ready to add our two cents or redirect what's going on when we have conflict. Most of the times if we will just listen and not just listen to hear the noises coming out of the person's um, mouth, but to listen to what they're saying listen to what they're feeling, listen to what they're going through before they ever begin the conflict with you. That will help so much of our conflict resolution. But the second thing I think is so important, and this is the area that I believe our society is losing this this art of this, and that's validating the other person. (laughs) Unfortunately, our society has created this thing called cancer culture. If you don't think like I think, if you don't believe like I blink, believe, I just cross you out, I X you out, I cancel you, and you have no reason in my life. Well, here's the deal. We're going to have lots of people that think different than we do. 
We're going to have lots of people who believe different than I do. We're going to have lots of people who, who feel different than I do. That doesn't always make them wrong. It just makes them them. And many times the other person just needs to be validated. Do you remember this? Lost, this is part lost in the cancer culture. You can validate somebody and still not agree with that person. That is an option. But somehow in our world today, we're thinking, no, if I validate you, if I agree with you, if I at least nod my head at what you're saying, that must mean I'm totally on your side. That doesn't mean you stepped over on their side, but you're trying to understand where they're coming from. I'll never forget, I was in a kind of a conflict resolution between two people, and I heard both sides. And, and I knew this one side, side over here, was so, so right, really. As I listened to both sides and trying to be the judge and jury, side A was right. But side B just going, I just, she's, and she finally said this to him. She said, here's the deal. I feel like that I'm standing in the driveway and you're backing the car up and my foot's in the driveway and you run over my foot. And she goes, I, she goes all I want from you is to realize my foot hurts. She goes, that's all I need. She goes, I just need you to validate my feelings right now. I'm hurting. I'm having a difficult time. I remember she left the room. Person A that drove the car backwards, he goes, if she had just moved her stupid foot, it wouldn't have been hurt in the first place. But we never resolved the conflict because person A, as right as he was, never understood how person B was hurting. He never validated what she was going through. And when we have conflict with somebody, many times we can still hold our line and say, this is what I believe or this is what I think or this is what I feel, but I still understand where you're coming from. And the last piece of that is just propose a solution. It probably won't be a win-win solution. We live in a life of sometimes we win some, sometimes we lose some. But we're giving in. Why? Because Paul said this, what's most important here is not being right, as he said in verse 4. It is living in unity. Because we have more important things in my opinion versus your opinion, my thoughts versus your thoughts. What we have at stake here is the gospel of Jesus Christ getting out. And he goes, so just listen validate and propose a solution here's what he said in his words he said finally sorry verse 9 he says whatever you have learned or received or heard from me put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you wouldn't it feel good to walk out here going I got peace in my relationships the conflict that I went in with somebody, I got peace in my relationships. That is where joy comes from. Joy doesn't come from us getting along. Joy comes from the peace within our heart, knowing that I'm honoring you and valuing you and loving you the way God created you to be honored, loved, and valued. And so I wrote this last thing just down for conclusion. Really simple. This is not in your notes, but this is, I think, worth writing and kind of mulling over this week. And here's what it says for conclusion. Your joy will not be found in your knowledge, but it will be found in your reconciliation. Let me say that again. Your joy will not be found in your knowledge, but it will be found in your reconciliation. You can like, okay, at the very beginning of this sermon, Keith, I've got the person I'm in conflict. I've got two people I'm in conflict. I'm listening to it. Man, those are some good points. Those are some good points. I wrote this down. Okay, thanks so much. And that's knowledge. And you stick in your Bible, you stick in your folder, you stick in your pocket, and you put it in there. And if you never do anything with it, it's nothing but knowledge. And that knowledge will not bring you joy in your relationships. It will not bring you joy in the conflict that you find in the relationships. It is in the reconciliation 
of the relationships where you will find the joy. So my prayer for us this week is that we will be, as Paul says, a church of followers of Jesus who are about action. That we will put into practice the very things that Paul taught us to find joy in our conflict. I'm going to ask the band to come up here. We're going to close with Philippians, that song that we've been singing all, all series long. And it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, okay? So if you're having a hard time memorizing, this is the one. I mean, I've played it so many times throughout this whole summer just going, God, would you let it sink into me? Would you let me just think all things like you think, Jesus, in that? But as we sing this, um, I just pray that it will be your prayer to God that you will always, always um, just whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, that we will let that be our filter. And so, Jesus, thank you for your word. Sometimes your word moves our hearts and moves us just to response right now. Sometimes I think your word comes in and it just has to kind of mull over in our brain and then move us to response. And so I pray today that this passage would be used to mull over in our brain and lead us to a heart response with our hands this week. May we walk in relationships both when they're going good and when they're going bad. May we walk in the joy that you've put before us. And we pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Would you please rise in body or in spirit and join us in singing Philippians together. things are true whatever things are honest whatever things are just I will dwell on these whatever things are pure Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, I will dwell on these. You remind me of your goodness, you are the God of peace. For with little or with plenty, you supply my every need. And I fix my eyes and I set my gaze on the good you've given me. Whatever things are good, I will dwell on
Whatever things are true Whatever things are honest Whatever things are just I will dwell on these Whatever things are pure Whatever things are lovely Whatever things are good I will dwell on thee Oh, you remind me Of your goodness You are the God of peace For with little or with plenty supply my every need and I fix my eyes and I set my gaze on the good you've given me whatever things are good I will dwell on these oh Whatever things are right, 
Whatever things are wholesome, whatever brings your peace, I will dwell on thee.